Turning your Bibles to Genesis 21, we're, of course, continuing our study of the book of Genesis. And, and in this section, the focus is, of course, the life of Abraham. And this evening, we see the birth. I mean, that's so incredible, the birth and protection of the promised son, Isaac. Tonight, finally, after all these years, we see the fulfillment of God's promise that Abraham would have this son through Sarah. And the key in this is what we're calling provision and protection. That's, that's the bottom line of the passage. Over and over, we continue to see how God is the one who provides and God is the one who protects. And that's what we see. God intervenes. He gives the son Isaac. That's the provision. But we then see the protection of Isaac. And even more, then we'll see how God intervenes and deals with Ishmael. There's provision and protection there. And then even at the end of the chapter, which we'll see next time, we see God intervenes again and there's provision and protection for Abraham. So all through the chapter, the three main people, Isaac, Ishmael, Abraham, God provides and protects. And that's the key even in our lives. God always provides and protects. And as, there's another thing we're going to see as we go through the passage. We'll see really a contrast between the two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, and the two mamas there, you know, Hagar and Sarah. And, and we'll see that Ishmael is removed, but he is uh, not forgotten, as we might say. This study, uh, this passage really teaches us and it, it, that, that we can look at ourselves or we can look at how people try to come to God and they either come to God as the, as the Hagar-Ishmael way or the Sarah-Isaac way. One is through the flesh and through works and one is through grace and faith. And uh, that's a really question that some people need to ask. Which are you, are you an Isaac or an Ishmael? How are you coming to God? What are you doing? As we study this passage, our focus is on the provision and the protection of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great, great night. Thank you again for each one who's come, and just the privilege we have of studying the Bible. And, Lord, we know that you are the one who takes care of us, and you provide and you protect. And, uh, Lord, thank you for <clears throat> your grace to us. We thank you for the book of Genesis, the, the great truths that are there, Lord. And as we go week after week looking at the life of Abraham and then on to Isaac and then Jacob and on to Joseph, just how you dealt with them and how they lived and and the principles and truths we can gain from that. So, Lord, we just ask you that. Uh, thank you for the study. Thank you for the book of Genesis that is just so fun to study and see these things. Teach us now tonight as we look at what happens here in the birth of the Son and your provision and protection. Lord, thank you that you provide for us salvation in Jesus Christ. You protect us day after day after day. Thank you, Lord, for that. Teach us now. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Philippians 4.19, as you know, as we'll, get, we'll eventually get to it on Sunday morning, is one of the great promises in the Word of God. God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Realize, He didn't say all our wants, but He did say all our needs. Has there ever been a time in your life where God has intervened and supplied what you needed? I'm sure for all of us in this room, we could each say, would each one of you come up and tell about a particular time? And you, would, you could be able to do that. To be honest with you, i got so many times... <clears throat> It'd be hard to narrow them down, but I am going to narrow one down. I want to tell you two stories. One is not about me. One is about Dallas Seminary, uh, and then one is about me, how God provided and protected. In 1940, uh, Lewis Berry Chafer was the president of Dallas Seminary. He started in 1924. The first graduating class was 1927. And as they were going along, they'd run into some trouble, some financial problems. I mean, that's the way a lot of schools are. Sometimes the money just doesn't come in. Dallas Seminary is not connected with any denomination. And so there was a time they had a need. And This was back in 1940, and I remember reading the story. If you go to Dallas Seminary, you've heard this story many times, but they, they needed $50,000 to keep everything going. Uh, some of the professors had not been paid for a while, and they just didn't have the money. And uh, Chafer and the board got together, and they were having a prayer time, and they asked God, and, and they said that Lewis, Dr. Chafer said, Lord, you know we need the 50000 to keep the, this going, provide this somehow. While they were doing the prayer, Dr. Chafer's secretary came in with the mail, and she said there was a letter in the mail 
uh, from a, a cattleman who had, had really had no connection with Dallas Seminary. And inside there was a check for $50,000, and he just had written that as he was just thinking about life, somehow he just thought that Dallas Seminary could use this money. And sure enough, $50,000 was exactly right. Uh, my first semester at Dallas Seminary, I went there. I, had, I really had no money. You know, by the grace of God, I made it all the way through the school without borrowing any money or anything. But I remember my first semester, I got there, I paid, I got my rent, got there, paid for the first semester, and I had really no money. In fact, uh, I've told people the story before that this is Dallas and it's in August and I had this apartment, but I didn't turn on the air conditioning because I didn't know if I could pay the electric bill. I didn't know how much it's going to be. So I thought I better not even run the electricity, you know, the, at least the air conditioning because I just don't know if I could pay the bill. So I, I was in pretty, I was, it was hot, I'm going to tell you. And, and I remember I went to, to Dallas, I went to the, on the campus, classes hadn't started yet, and I looked in my mailbox. And I actually had a letter. I thought, I got a letter. I got a letter. It was a bill. And, you know, I opened it up, and it was a bill. It was from State Farm. And they said, if you, when you move from Mississippi to Texas, it's going to cost more to insure your car there. And the, I needed to pay an additional $92. And I went, $92? How am I going to have $92? I don't have any money. It's more or less $92. That's a lot of money. I, that'd be sort of a lot of money now, would it? All of a sudden, say, he'd give us $92. And I remember thinking, well, how am I going to come up with $92? I said, well, I don't know. Well, two days later, I went to my mailbox at Dallas Center, and there is another letter in there. I thought, well, it could be another bill for 92 more. Who knows what it's going to be? Opened it up, and it was a letter from my church, the church back in Mississippi, Emmanuel. And all it was a little note. It said, JB, somebody thought you needed this. And it was a check for $92. It wasn't 95 It wasn't 100 It wasn't 90 It was $92. Now, how, how, does that happen? Yes, it happens. It happens. And I could tell you a lot of stories. Because God is, God always intervenes. God provides and protects. In this chapter, we're going to see a number of times how God intervenes, provides and protects Abraham, Isaac, Ishmael, Hagar, all of that. God is faithful to keep His promises. Now uh, we begin by seeing the birth of Isaac. Now this is this is big. We've been waiting. We've been waiting all the way from Genesis chapter 12. We've been wastefully waiting for this. All these chapters have gone by, and we've seen Abraham make some big mistakes waiting for this son, but this is it. Let me break down the chapter for you. We won't get to see the whole thing, but the birth of Isaac is verses 1 through 7. That's the promised son. God intervenes and provides. Then the protection of Isaac, and, and that's verses 8 through 14, because there's conflict. So what he's going to do? How is he going to protect Isaac? He's going to remove Ishmael. But then as we go on, and we'll see this later, we see provision and protection of Ishmael. So God does that because there's a promise to Ishmael as well. And then finally, God, Abraham makes a covenant with that guy named Abimelech. And you remember who Abimelech is? Abimelech is the one that Abraham lied to. That Abraham went and said that Sarah was his sister, which is true but not true, and, and all those things happen. So there's going to be a covenant. We're going to see God intervenes again and protects Abraham. So all the way through the chapter, whether it's Abraham or Isaac, excuse me, uh, uh, whether it's uh, Isaac or Ishmael or, or, or Abraham, you're going to see the provision and protection of God. Now, as we begin, uh, the birth comes. They've been waiting for this for tw- you know, for 25 years. Abraham was 75 years old when God came to him and said he was going to have a son. He's now 100 years old. God is faithful. God always does what he says. He fulfills his promises. Notice verse 1. When the, then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. I, I like to call this the divine intervention when it said that the Lord took note of Sarah. He's going to intervene. God must intervene. Now, here's the truth. God made a promise to Sarah. 
and Abraham 25 years earlier they were going to have a child. Years went by, he's made the promise over and over. And a year ago, a year ago he made the promise. He, she was in the tent, Abraham was out front. God said, I will return in a year and Sarah will have the son. This is what he's talking about. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. He said he'd be back in a year and that she would have the boy. And that's exactly what happened. Now, for them to have this son, God must intervene. He must. Because they're past the age of having children. He's 100, she's 90. The only way it's going to happen is God has to do something special. And realize that God's promises are not dependent on our faithfulness. Because Abraham and Sarah have not been faithful. They've messed the thing up two or three times. God keeps having to come in and straighten it out. Whatever God says, He will do. The birth of the child promised by God, we see God's faithfulness. As God said, as God had promised, as God had spoken. That's what we see. Now, you understand that God must intervene for you and I to have salvation. Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But it's God who so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He intervenes. He's the one that draws us to Himself. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the truth is, uh, you know, for even our soul salvation, is God who has to intervene. Well, notice verse 2. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. That's exactly right. He said, I'll be a year from now, they'll have the son. And there it is. The appointed time, the year earlier, he said he would return and she would have the son. She conceived. Romans 4 says that God is able to do whatever he promises. That's why it doesn't matter when a promise in the Bible applies to you or to me. Now, not everything in the Bible, in fact, a lot of things in the Bible don't apply to us. But whenever we find a promise that applies to us, you can guarantee that the promise is true. If he says, I'll provide all your needs, you can guarantee he's going to provide all your needs. If he says, I give you eternal life, you can guarantee you have eternal life. If he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, you can guarantee he's never going to leave you or forsake you. It's all the way through the scripture. That's the key. Now, this is a miracle child because it's not possible for this man who's 100 and this woman who's 90 to have the baby. But God keeps his word. That was the promise. Notice verse 3. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. That's exactly, that's the name God told him to call him. Isaac, this is the promised son. He bore this promised son. The name means laughter. Because both Abraham and Sarah laughed when God told them. He told Abraham first. And Abraham laughed. And God really didn't say anything about Abraham laughing. Then, then when he told Sarah and she laughed, God said, you're laughing. And she went, no, I'm not. And he said, you sure? You know, and, and the bottom line is, if, if you're going to laugh, let's call the, let's call the boy laughter. Because that's what Isaac means. It means the laugh, the one who laughs. God makes us laugh with all that he does for us. I mean, think about, uh, I mean, look at your life. I mean, I, you got, I got a story, right? You probably got, every one of you in this room has got a story of what God has done for you. And you could say, could you believe that, how he did that? It's just over and over again. God always does what he says. God promises in their times when he, he intervenes, when he doesn't even have to intervene. He didn't have to do anything. And yet he always does Incredible things. Now, look at verse 4. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. It was the sign of the covenant that God had made with Abraham, that you circumcised all the men. And the plan was to circumcise them on the eighth day. And so every time a child was born, they were circumcised on the eighth day. That was the sign of the covenant, a sign that they believed God, a sign that they were saying, we understand, we're connected with God. This is his promises to us. 
And that was the sign saying that they believed God and they obeyed God. That's what it's all about. If you remember, the covenant goes back to the land, seed, the blessing. That God promised to land to Abraham, a seed to Abraham, and a blessing to Abraham. The land, of course, was the nation of Israel or the land of Israel. The seed would be that son and the sons that would follow and the nation of Israel and ultimately the seed, Jesus Christ, and the blessing of salvation to the world through Abraham because the Messiah would come through Abraham. So here they're doing all the right things. Now watch this. He just gives us the information. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. He'd been waiting 25 years. Now, wh- what do you think would have happened if when God said to Abraham, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Oh, by the way, it's be 25 years from now. You go, what, do I have to wait 25 years? I mean, he didn't know it was 25 years. Listen, there, aren't you glad that God uh, lets, lets everything come a day at a time, an hour at a time? Do you want to know next week you're going to have the flu? You don't want to know that, right? You don't want to know ahead of time you're going to break your leg. You don't want to know. Right? Just take it a little at a time. Sometimes we say, well, I'd like to know the future. No, you really wouldn't. You really wouldn't. Don't we just want it coming at us second by second, day by day? Because that's how you live the Christian life, moment by moment. Run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, keeping your focus on Him moment by moment, day after day, walking worthy of the calling, walking worthy uh, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, probably Abraham says, well, I'm, I'm sort of glad you didn't tell me. I'd have probably gotten mad if you said, I've got to wait 25 years. Right? God is gracious by giving us a day at a time. Well, look at Sarah, Sarah's response, verse 6. So Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Notice she didn't say laugh at me. She said laugh with me because this is a great thing. Remember we said in that culture... To have a child was big. If you didn't have a child, most people said, if you don't have a baby, there's something wrong with you. Uh, obviously, God is not blessing you. Maybe you've done something wrong. There were times that people said, maybe they've done something wrong. Do you remember last chapter when Abimelech took Sarah? It said that God had closed the wombs of all the people connected with Abimelech. That was a sign that there was judgment there. And so for Sarah to go all these years... I mean, there'd be people say things like, wonder what's wrong with Sarah. Wonder what the problem is. She's too old now. She's never going to have any kids. Too late for her. You know they said that. That's why when Hagar had the child, that you'd think that Hagar would keep her mouth shut. But what was she doing? She was kind of gloating around that I got the baby and you don't. I had the son for Abraham and you didn't. Remember that story? Remember that? Things aren't that great in this household, by the way. Humanly speaking, Abraham is wealthy, very powerful man, has his own army, has his whole family, blessed by God, so to speak, as you look at it. But, you know, everything's not great in that household. You got two women, one the wife, one the slave who is actually a wife, And they don't get along. And let me tell you, when mamas aren't happy, nobody's happy, right? It's true. The whole household is a problem. Sarah says, I am really, really, really happy. God has made laughter. You know what it says? God has made Isaac for me. That's his name, isn't it? Laughter. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. 
What's impossible with men is possible with God. God keeps His word even when we don't. Remember Isaac and Jacob and Judah and David, all of that promise that goes all the way down to Jesus Christ. This is just the start. Abraham to Isaac. Isaac to Jacob. Jacob to Judah. Judah to David. David to Christ. Now, there's all the other names in between there, but those are the big names. This is just the start of the promise. We ought to all be going, Yay! Thanks for having that son! Not a minute too soon. Because if this son's never born, guess what? There's no Savior. This is the promise. Through Isaac will the descendants be named. Not through Ishmael. If there was no Isaac, there would be no Jesus. That's a powerful statement. She said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah will nurse children? (laughs) 90-year-old woman, I'm nursing. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God keeps his promises. Now, when we get to verse 8, it's actually a different time. Because... He was born, and they circumcised him on the eighth day. Notice verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now, we're going to see conflict. This, this is where the conflict comes in. He grew and was weaned. Now, basically, in that culture, the best we can find is between two, two and a half, three, maybe even as old as four before they weaned their children. But most would say between two, two and a half, three years old when they weaned their children. And there was... A feast when they were weaned because now he's like a little boy and he's not a baby anymore. That's how they look at it. And so the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. He said, let's have a party for my boy. My boy's three, two and a half. He's he's a boy now. And he's no longer a baby. What would be the next big thing, do you know? When he's how old? What, 12 or 13 in there and that's called what? Bar Mitzvah, the son of the commandments. Of course, that's not going to be here yet because they haven't got the Mosaic Law. But that's in the Jewish mindset, that'd be the next big deal. That's when you become like a, like a man. Well, watch what happened at the party. Verse 9. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. You just don't make fun of a little boy they waited for for you know, 25 years, right? At the party, Sarah looks over and she sees Ishmael. How old do you think Ishmael is at this time? How much older is Ishmael than Isaac? Hmm? About 14 years. Because he was born when, when Abraham was 86. Now Abraham's 100, so he's 14 years old. Now two, two and a half years. So Ishmael is about 16 or 17 years old. And what's he doing? He's making fun of a little three-year-old. Because Ishmael knows that even though he's a man, 17, and his daddy, Abraham, loves him, and Abraham's rich, that this baby's going to get everything. This little boy, this three-year-old guy running around, is going to get everything. Because the promise, I mean, they know what's happening. You understand that as soon as, as Isaac was born, don't you think Sarah said to Hagar, uh, you can step out of the way now. We don't need that boy anymore. We got our own boy. You don't think that happened? I guarantee you that happened. So Ishmael knows, guess what? 
Your days are numbered, man. I mean, you're going to get something because Abraham's your daddy. He'll give you, here, son, take this stuff. But he's never going to, it's not coming through him. It's coming through Isaac. He doesn't like the little guy. And so at the party, what is he doing? He's making fun of him somehow. Maybe making faith. Who knows what he's doing? Sarah sees it. Sarah's pretty protective of her child. Most mamas are protective of the children, right? Especially if you're a 90-year-old mama. And you waited a long time for this baby, right? You don't like anybody making fun. The word mocking means jesting. It's, it's a negative statement. It's not positive in any way, shape, or form. It's negative. Now, let's remind how this son of, of Hagar got there. You remember when, when Abraham was 75 years old, it was promised to him that he had the child through Sarah. They failed to trust God. At 86 years old, he took the handmaid Hagar. It was Sarah's idea, took Hagar, and they had a son through there named Ishmael. It was wrong. And now 14 years have passed, more than 14. He's 100, and now he's probably 102, 103 now because the little boy is about three. And we see the conflict. Ishmael's hopes were shattered. Probably Ishmael thought, and Hagar thought, son, just she totally told him, son, just remember this. The chance of them having a baby, really slim. It had to be a miracle. And it was. You realize this conflict between Ishmael and Isaac is the start of a conflict that goes all the way to this day. Because Ishmael, really, the descendants of Ishmael are the Arab people, and the descendants of Isaac are the Jewish people. And they're, they're in conflict right now. And they have been for a long time. Before we see what happened, I want you to get a point that Paul teaches in the book of Galatians, because he takes the two boys and the two mamas, and he says that they're symbolic of two ways to get to God. Look at this that Ishmael and Hagar are really a picture of works because it was Abraham and the works of the flesh trying to produce what God had promised. That's like trying to work your way to get to God. I'm going to try to do enough good works and God will save me. That's a picture of Hagar, of Ishmael and Hagar. But Isaac and Sarah are a picture of grace, faith, and promise because they didn't do anything. It's the promise of God. It's the grace of God. Sarah didn't have anything to do with it technically. She, she, she said, you know, it's, it's a picture of saying, I'm trusting God and I come to God simply by faith. Paul talks about that. In, in the book of Galatians, Paul calls Hagar the born woman and it's a picture of coming to God by works because Abraham tried to work his way to get what God had promised him. But the other one is Sarah. She's the free woman. That's what Paul calls her in the book of Galatians. And it's a picture of coming to God by faith. And so technically every human being is going to be an Isaac Hagar or, or uh, excuse me, uh, Ishmael Hagar or an Isaac Sarah. You're either coming to God by faith, you're coming to God by your works. I trusted Christ when I was 19, but up to that point I believed that if you did more good than bad, you could go to heaven. I was at an Ishmael. I was trying to come to God by works. I was saying, if I do more good than bad, God will let me in. And there are many people in this world, in fact, probably most people in this world, believe that the way you get to God is through your good works. Because that's where there are religions all over the world. And religion is man trying to do something to please God. What we all need to be is Sarah's and, Ish and Isaac's. It's, it's the grace of God. It's the promise of God. It's, it's by grace through faith. Ishmael was the child of the flesh, works man's effort. Isaac was the child of the promise, grace and faith. It's God's effort. And Paul declares, not only in Galatians, that picture, but in Ephesians, he says it's not works but faith. It's God's gift. For by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Sometimes we ask this question. 
And I know most of you in this room, so I know the answer for most of you. But how are you coming to God? Are you coming to God by your works like Ishmael and Hagar, your efforts, your works? Or are you coming to God like Isaac and Sarah, simply by faith, God's grace? You're either an Ishmael or you're an Isaac. That's what it boils down to. You're either a Hagar or Sarah. And that's the picture. So amazing. You get to the book of Galatians and Paul says, these two women are two pictures of how you approach God. Well, back to the story. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, Ishmael, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. So what does she do? Well, you know what she does. She always goes to Abraham. Every time there's something she doesn't like, she goes to Abraham. As soon as she came to Abraham, she came to Abraham and said, Why don't you take Hagar to be your, your uh, wife, and the son will be my son. So... They had the baby. And as soon as they had the baby, she went to Abraham and said, I don't like this plan that you did. He, he said, I don't think it was my plan, but I mean, you know. And so that was the now. Now, what's she going to do? Therefore, she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. She's saying, get them out of here. I don't want them to have any part with our family and our heir and what God's doing with us. Get them away from here. Drive them out. That seems a little cruel, doesn't it? That doesn't seem cruel. I mean, we think, drive them out. I mean, maybe put a tin over by the side or something. Drive them out. Yeah, drive them out. She was concerned that Ishmael would try to be an heir. Maybe maybe she thought he would harm Isaac. Who knows? Maybe she thought that one of these days when nobody's looking, this 17-year-old boy might kill this little 3-year-old boy just to get him out of the way. Who knows? They're really a picture of law and grace, and guess what? Go to the next one. Law and grace cannot exist together. They can't. Romans 11:6. If it is grace, it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You can't have grace and works together. You can't say it's simply grace through faith that you're saved, but you got to do this one thing. It not, can't work. How many works do you have to have for it to be works? Just one. That's all. I always use this analogy. You say to people, you know, it's grace you're saved and not works or anything, and Somebody will say, well, look, I'll give you $5 if you wash my car. Am I giving you $5? You have to wash the car. People say, I'll give, people say, God will give you salvation if you walk down the aisle. God will give you salvation if you get baptized. God will give you salvation if you make Him Lord of your life. God will give you salvation if you repent of your sins, turn away from all your sins. That's all works, by the way. Salvation is by grace through faith plus nothing. Well, what happened? Verse 11, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. Now, Abraham loves Ishmael. You can't blame him. It's his son. He loves the little, well, the little guy. He's now 16, 17 years old. But he loves him. And this has distressed him because he, he, he what am I going to do about this boy? But God intervenes. This is the key. Watch. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. Now he says, whatever happens, don't don't be distressed about this. I know you love Ishmael, but the promised son must be protected. And Isaac is the descendants. Ishmael must be removed. Oh, it looks bad. The son Isaac is the heir. And even in something that looks bad, just remember all things work together for what? For good. It didn't say all things are good. 
if we were there, we'd probably say, well, I mean, do they have to leave like all the way? I mean, you know, do they have to leave all the way? But do you realize this is a protection of who? Of who? Huh? Of Isaac. Yeah. What happens if what happens to Isaac? Now let me ask you this question: What if something happened to Isaac? You think so? Is that the next chapter? It is, isn't it? You read ahead, didn't you? <laughs> you know, it's a great statement to know that if something happened to Isaac, what would God do? He'd raise him back up, because in chapter 22, which is next. God tells Abraham, take your son Isaac and go sacrifice him. He doesn't say, go, you know, cut his arm. He says, go make him a burnt offering, which is mean put him on an altar, cut his throat, set him on fire, and burn him completely up. That pretty much does the end of that. And Abraham knew that when he did that, not if he did that, when he did that, God would raise him from the dead. Had to. Why? Because the promise was through? Through Isaac. Exactly. It's powerful. He says, listen, Abraham, don't be distressed because of the lad you made. Whatever Sarah tells you to do, listen to her. But through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. But there's more. Notice, and the son of the maid, I will make a nation also. Why? Because he is your descendant. What's Abraham's name mean? Father of what? Many nations. Many people groups. Abraham is just not the father of Jews. Because through Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and on down, that's Jewish people. But Abraham had a son, Ishmael. And later on, Jacob's going to have a son who? Isaac's going to have a son, I'm sorry, Jacob and Esau. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to, there's more of them. So he says, don't worry. I will make a nation of him. Why, Abraham? Because he belongs to you. I made a promise to you, Abraham, that I will make a great nation from you and great peoples will come from you and you're going to be the father of many nations and all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. So it all goes back to Abraham and the promise to Abraham. Three times in Genesis 17, verses 4 through 6, he says, nations will come from you. Nations. That's when he changed his name from Abram Big Daddy, to Abraham, father of many nations. God's faithfulness. God intervenes. Provision, protection. Provision the son, Isaac. Protection, removing Ishmael. Humanly speaking, we cannot have Ishmael around Isaac. Ishmael might do something to Isaac. Just can't have him around. Now, the next verse says, get your stuff, here's some water, here's some bread, you can leave. It looks pretty bad. But let me ask you, let me tell you something. Remember we started the chapter and we said we're going to see the provision and protection of Isaac. Next time as we study this passage, we're going to see the provision and protection of Ishmael. And then before the chapter's over, we're going to see the provision and protection of of Abraham. That's what God does. He provides and protects. Verse 14, So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, gave her the boy. Now see, if you're not careful, you'll read this and you'll think it's like a like an eight-year-old boy or a nine-year-old boy. He's 17 probably. 
says, take the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. That's the southern part of Israel. What's modern day Israel, very southern part. In fact, when they'll say, sometimes they'll say from Dan to Beersheba. That means Dan is one of the most northern parts of Israel. Beersheba is one of the most southern parts of Israel. So she's wandering around near the Negev. The Negev means the south. The further you go, you get more to the Sinai Peninsula. You get that part of the world. And so they're out pretty much in a wilderness area. And they're gone. I imagine Sarah feels pretty good. She probably says, about time I got rid of that problem. Here's our question. What's going to happen to Hagar and Ishmael? It looks bad for them. But once again, we'll see next time, providing and protecting. What have we seen? God's faithfulness to intervene. He provides and protects. We see the intervention uh, and providing of the son Isaac and the protection of the son Isaac because he removes Ishmael. Let me give you some applications. First of all, realize that God is faithful to provide and protect. We see it over and over and over that even whether it's Abraham or Isaac or Ishmael, Alan Ross, who was uh, one of the Hebrew professors at Dallas Seminary when I was there, he says this, God's faithfulness in fulfilling the promised son, protecting Isaac, Ishmael, and Abraham. Think about our own lives. God is faithful. He always does it. There are no telling how many times that God has provided and protected us. Sometimes we don't even realize what he's doing. We don't even realize it. God intervenes. He provides. And think about how He provides for us. He sent Jesus Christ to pay for our sins. He has provided for us a Savior. Jesus Christ came, died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. That's the provision for us for salvation. He protects us. He protects us day after day after day. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? I'll provide every need that you have. Philippians 4.19. Over and over and over. What is our response? To trust in the provision and the protection of God. To trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and to live every day trusting God to be the provider, protector. I think Philippians 4.19, as I quoted a while ago, was so powerful. He will supply all our needs. Second application is understand the comparison between Sarah and Hagar, Isaac and Ishmael. I mean, what they really are, one represents law and works and the other represents grace, promise and faith. Are you approaching God by works or faith? That's what it boils down to. What breaks my heart is to know that there are a lot of people in a lot of places who have been taught all their lives that you need to live a good life in order to be saved. Or that you can believe in Jesus, but what you have to do is, if you're going to believe in Jesus, you have to uh, turn away from your sins and give your life to Jesus and agree to serve Him. And if you don't do those things, you're not saved. That's works as well. We either like Isaac or Ishmael. Ishmael come to God by works, our efforts. That's what that's what Abraham was trying to do. They tried to come up with their own way to get to get God's promise. That's Ishmael. And then Isaac has come to God by faith, the promise, grace, the believing. That's taking God at His word. That's what it boils down to. As long as we cling to anything that we're doing, we're not coming to God based on His grace. As long as we think I have a part in this, that's. I think that there's a. Uh, uh, issue here is people don't realize how bad they are and how good God is. People don't realize how bad they are. People say, oh, I'm going to try to live, be good to get to God. You don't understand how bad you are. You can't get to God by your goodness. First of all, you're dead in sin. You don't understand how bad you are and you don't understand how great God is. He's providing a way of salvation for you, not based on you. God is faithful to intervene. He's sending Jesus Christ to die for us and to give us eternal life. 
He is able to provide and protect day after day after day. Well, let's pray. We'll open up for any questions or comments. Heavenly Father, what a great passage. Thank you for this. And, Lord, as we see that you always do what you say. I mean, you provide, realize that you're faithful to provide and protect, and, and that's what you do. And just as in, in the life of Abraham, you provided the son Isaac, and you protected him from Ishmael. And that same way for us, uh, we, we look at our lives, and we realize that you have provided for us a Savior, Jesus Christ. You protect us. You take care of us day after day after day. Thank you, Lord, for those things. We realize, Lord, that there is a comparison here. We don't necessarily see it in Genesis, but we see what Paul does with it, that the picture of Isaac and, and Sarah is actually grace, and Ishmael and Hagar is actually the word. And, and, and the one coming to God by trying to, to work their way to God, and the other is taking God's promise. Lord, thank you that our salvation is not on what we do or promise to do or keep doing, but simply by grace through faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these truths. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I thought that was interesting that she she never thought that she was too old. Or in, in her statement. Well, I think she's lying to herself, and here's why. Uh, who was able to produce the child uh, back when he was 86 uh, years old? It was Abraham. He was 86 years old. He still produced a child with Hagar. She'd been the one that hadn't been able to have any kids, so to speak. So she probably shouldn't have been saying, you're the old man. No, he said, no, no, no. You're the, I'm the one. I'm okay in this area. You weren't okay in this area. That's what he could have said to her. It's, it's, it's her way of saying that uh, uh, it, as an old man, he now has a child, which being the old man was a great, uh, in that culture, being an old man is a, a sign of respect and dignity and, and power because, the, you know, the older people were the ones respected, not the younger ones. You earned your way up. That's why the, the, the Sanhedrin in Israel were made up of the old, they were the elders of Israel always. Yeah. So it's a, good, it's a funny statement. She says, I, I provided for him in his old age. She should have said, God provided for him in his old age through me. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Okay, that ought to do it. All right, thanks for coming.